Before you can create a healthy relationship with others, you first have to create a healthy relationship with yourself. Welcome to Let's Talk About It with your host, Dr. Janie Lacey. Janie is a nationally respected psychotherapist, and on this show, she and her featured guests will help you discover and break patterns in your life that can contribute to self-sabotage and unhealthy relationships. Now, here is Dr. Janie Lacey. Welcome to another episode of Let's Talk About It with Janie Lacey. Life is short. Have an affair. The slogan of the controversial website, Ashley Madison, who markets to those in relationships who are married. And what about the reality show, Cheaters? The reality show that features couples with one, with one partner who is cheating on the other. Well, cheaters never win, except with the audiences that are here for the relationship drama. But what if this was your real life and not a drama series or a movie where you found out that the person who you lay down with every night has kept a secret for the past two years? Or what about the devastation of viewing your partner's phone repeatedly because you just can't believe what you're seeing? Are those really the messages between my best friend and my wife? Well, today, our special guest, Ashley Jamerson, who's gonna share her expertise and her personal story of triumph and restoration. She has overcome betrayal and her own love and sex addiction. Ashley knows firsthand the power of walking with others through recovery. Ashley wants women who feel alone and stuck in their struggles to know that they are not alone and there is hope. As the International Women's Group Coordinator for Pure Desire, Ashley provides leadership and training to churches throughout the world. Welcome to the show, Ashley. Hi, thank you for having me. It's so good to see you again and be a guest on your show. Yes, it's so good to see you again virtually. The last time I see you five years ago in Oregon. So it's nice to be uh, reconnected. But for those of, of those that are going to be listening, that are watching and be listening to the replay, and I read a little bit of your bio, obviously, it's much more extensive than that. But who is Ashley Jamerson? Who is Ashley Jamerson outside of the bio? Who is she? What do you want to share with our listeners and viewers? Oh my goodness. Okay. So outside of the bio, I am just a normal person trying to do life and, um, and navigate being in relationship, relationship with my husband, relationship with my kids and friends, um, while becoming more aware of my own, um, struggles, needs, um, past traumas that play into how I react to people. And, um, yeah, I just, my goal would be to live more simply and just love people more deeply and understand myself. So um, I'm a wife. I have four kids. My teenage sons will be 18 on Saturday. They're going into their senior year. Um, So I was also a teen mom, um, pregnant at a young age, looked for love in all of the wrong places and uh, found two babies. (laughs) So uh, young mom and and I have two younger kids, 11-year-old daughter and an almost 10-year-old son. So uh, not only navigating relationship with my husband and past betrayal and all of that, but trying to help my kids navigate this world that's really sexual and um, just, just over the top. Everything is over the top. So um, yeah, so just, just a normal wife. I was um, talking to, talking to you before the show about my husband's broken leg and with him having a broken leg and needing surgery, I've been his nurse for about three weeks. And I found myself like battling uh, those old childhood lies of 
I have to take care of everything around here. Nobody takes care of me. I'm the one who does everything. Um, and I was able to pull out my really good tools and, um, and use them to give myself self-care, to give myself a break, um, to remind myself that um, that's not reality. That's trauma from my childhood that's playing into this situation. And um, yeah, so just, I hope to be a real person, not one that looks like she has it all together, but just a real person um, that has to navigate curveballs in life, just like everybody else. Well, you certainly are a real person. You just demonstrated to us that everyone walks through different seasons and we got to constantly pull out those tools. We can only be as effective as the tools that are in our shed. <laughs> so pulling exactly. some of those out. <laughs> so, you know, you, you did exactly. mention- It can be kind of- Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no. Go right ahead, Ashley. I was going to say, it can be kind of uh, nerve wracking even, you know, being interviewed by Dr. Janie Lacey. I remember when I met you five years ago and I was like- that is one sexy, confident woman in her red clothes and her your fiery personality and all the things you're talking about. Um, and I, like you said, we only have what we have in our shed. I was thinking today, I only have what I have to offer and I know how to help people in churches and I know how to help pastors. And um, so that's just a little bit that I hope I can offer people listening today is just starting where they're at. Well, like attracts like. That's why I was in Oregon, because we are all um, impactors <laughs> and uh, those of us that want to serve and just help um, so many people in this world. We all gravitate together. So it's been a blessing to know you yeah. and and work with the, the organization Pure Desire, which we'll get into a little bit later, because I do want you to share about the organization. But I'm interested, Ashley, you mentioned about your four kids and being a teen mom and just our overly sexualized world. So, so as a mom who really understands from a place of a awareness and also from people's sexual brokenness. How do you navigate? Your boys are turning 18 in this world. I mean, what does that look like for all the parents out here? Please tell us. My son is nine. <laughs> so so how do you, what are some of the things that you found to be challenging or just um, those conversations? Is some of your highlights from parenting in today's world? Let's see some highlights. So we have the same age son. My, I think that's that's where the connect was from years ago with your son. Waylon, my baby, is nine. He'll be 10. And we all know they've been pandemic learning this last year. And even at school, even with me being pure desire for six years almost, I've been working there. Even with all the things I know, porn still popped up. I still miss the ball on some things. And um, I think that the greatest thing that we can do is just offer those regular conversations. So um, when I talk to Waylon again about, hey, if any kind of sexual stuff or things that you wouldn't want me to see or your teacher to see pops up, this is what you do right away. It's, it was, well, last week when I was at school. And so me just inviting the conversation in a really easy way brings it up. And um, it's the same with my teenage sons. I invited them over pizza, invite your friends, uh, boys, girls, whoever, we're going to watch some videos and, and talk about healthy sexuality. And my one son said, well, you know, these two might be like, you know, not living the way that you think they should be living. I'm like, I don't care. Invite them, invite them all. We're just going to have a conversation so that they at least know that I'm a safe person to talk to. And I don't expect them to do it all right. Because I didn't, I was super hardheaded as a teenager but I so wish I would have had somebody that said, when you, when you get here, when you experience this, when you start feeling this, when you find yourself in this trap, I am here to help you with that. And I understand, and I won't judge you. Um, so I just keep giving them information and keep bringing up conversations. And 
uh, with my daughter, it's a little different. Um, we do talk about the same thing, sexual exposure, because girls experience it and girls are just as tempted to look at pornography and masturbate as boys are. So we talk about that part. Um, we talk about um, cro cross boundaries. Um, but what I like to do, and I think my best recommendation for parents is not only create those conversations over and over and over and over, but I always share my experiences from when I was their age. So I, sh I shared what I experienced as an 11 year old girl with my daughter, and that has created really big conversations that I, I did not feel equipped to hear yet, but I was so thankful that I heard them and, and she wasn't carrying those things on her own. So um, yeah, just be honest and be creating those conversations. Yeah, I heard a couple of key things that you said, and I want to highlight them. You know, for one, as a parent, you were safe because you didn't judge and you open the door, you want to have those conversations. And even if your values or our principles as parents may be different than what our kids are bringing home, you still are opening the door because we as parents still are the number one influence on in our kids. They say up until about 14 or 15, so we'll see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but you know, it, it is a, a challenge. You know, I remember this, uh, Ashley, my son one day will hear this and he will hear this example. But you know, even as a care, as a ex, as you know, people in the field, and this is what we do, we're still never, not, never just ready for that conversation. We were watching Undercover Boss because I was um, just preparing to, to interview uh, Grant Cardone. So it was Undercover um, Billionaire and Undercover Boss. So we're watching it. And and it's PG-13, right? Well, you know, what was mm -hmm. that these days? So the person was talking and they were like, well, you need to clean that floor. This is an undercover boss. And he was yelling at an employee. He's like, you need to clean that floor like you would have sex on it. And my son turns to me. He's like, what sex? <laughs> oh, I'm like, okay, Dr. Janie Lacey, what are you going to say now? Right? <laughs> so real conversations, just real people and just being able to be safe and to realize that the world and, and healthy sexuality looks, continues to look very different as we, we navigate this, this world. But, you know, one of the, the main things that I really want to talk to you about, because you, to me, are boots to the ground. You see it, you, you speak it, you're traveling internationally in the world and just helping a lot of different women is around betrayal trauma, right? So we're looking at that term. In particular, we're looking at um, sexual betrayal trauma. But for those that are listening or watching us that they haven't really necessarily heard this term before, can you break it down to us a little bit? Like, what is a betrayal trauma? Oh, I'm so glad that we're talking about this. It seems like the last few years, especially, there's been more and more awareness of it, which I am very, very thankful for because um, I didn't know what was wrong with me when I was going through it. Betrayal trauma is, is, is the second most severe trauma, I think, next to losing a loved one in death. Um, and it's a relationship fracture. It's, it's, it's a relationship um, breach of trust from somebody that we're connected to, somebody that we may be dependent on or relying on or we seek safety in or a relationship in. And so having that fracture creates, it, it feels like the, the rug to your world has completely been ripped out from underneath you. Um, it's a real thing. The symptoms are, uh, it, their symptoms are similar to post-traumatic stress disorder. So if you go through the checklist of symptoms, it's, it's, the, it's the same thing. Um, it hijacks your brain, just like any other trauma would. It creates, um, chaos to where your language system can go offline, your immune system goes, your, your body goes into fight, fight, or freeze, your immune system can go pause. And then if we're living in that chronic state of betrayal that, you know, we're in a relationship that continues to experience relapse or betrayal, we're just in this stuck mode of 
um, elevated responses. So we could have immune system issues, digestion issues. We can feel literally crazy. The pain can feel um, so severe. That's why you hear sometimes um, betrayed spouses say, I wish, I wish they would just hit me. I wish I could just die because the internal pain it's just roaring around in there. And, it, and it's a very, very, very real experience um, with physical manifestation. So um, I'm, I'm just really glad we're talking about it because um, I think we all who have helped people have maybe heard my crazy wife or my, li- my wife is overreacting or my husband doesn't trust me. And, and now we're starting to understand more of what they're experiencing in that trauma. Yeah, absolutely. You know, as we opened up just looking at some popular shows, right? There's so many movies and music and just television and even advertisement is, uh, you know, the the billboard years ago and traveling in California, literally seeing that billboard by Ashley Madison, life is short, it's having a fear. So we normalize a certain, a certain culture. And then when people are living this life or when they're reaching out to get help, and then to your point, you know, sometimes you'll hear people respond to it. Well, just get over it. Or if it's a woman, well, all guys, all guys cheat or all guys look at porn, right? There's this minimalization that happens happens. And then there's this internalization of even more shame, you know? So, right. so whether the betrayal triggers the, the end of a relationship, and I want to hear, share some of your thoughts or someone is planning or repairing their intimacy and moving forward together. It's important that they take the time to not only understand what, what to expect that time to understand what they're going to expect in the healing process in particular, But most importantly, the one who is betrayed needs to know the following, because Ashley just said this, is you're not crazy, you're not emotionally unstable, you're not unlovable, and you're not alone in the process of healing and recovery. So I want to say that to someone who's listening to us who has yet to reach for help and who's going through this alone. So what do you say, Ashley, to a woman who is listening to us and she's at that crossroad? The crossroad is this common question. And I'm sure you get this with the women you work with is should I stay or should I go? What do you share or what are your thoughts about if a woman is thinking that and she's listening to us and she's looking for some direction? You're right. I've had that question many times. And I've also asked that question. I've been to the point where I'm like, I don't even think I want to stay in this relationship. And my, I would say that. Um, if you're physically unsafe, that's a different scenario. You need to seek safety. You need to talk to people who can help you, whether it's adult protective services or an abuse shelter, domestic violence. Um, physical safety is its own beast. Um, and you should definitely establish safety, whether that means separating and finding help or somebody that can help you right away. Um, outside of that, that, that inner turmoil of, I don't know if I can trust them again. I don't know if I'll ever be um, attracted to my spouse again. I don't know if our relationship will ever be the same. Should I say, I recommend not making that decision until you've gone through trauma healing, some recovery, because if we're in this state where we just found out the person that we love and trust is is completely not that person. Our world, all the world we just thought is completely not our world. Um, Maybe we have a best friend or a family member or something that was involved and that's not real. That all was a facade. Um, There's so many elements that are, are shaken up in that first stage that I always recommend if you need to do things to establish some boundaries, some structure in the beginning, uh, just so that you can feel stable enough and safe enough to, to process, that's that's a great first step. But allow yourself the grace to, to say, 
I'm not going to make any major decisions about whether I'm staying or going. I don't even have to go there. I don't even have to think about it for at least 10 months while I process through all of this trauma and recovery work. And then I'll think about it. And and that's, that can be hard because if you tell um, maybe an addict spouse or somebody who's acted out that they can say, well, I, I'm doing all this work and I want to make sure I'm not doing all this work if you're not going to stay with me. And that's not the point. You, you know, the point is you need to put in place what you need to feel safe and stable and get yourself back to a healthy state. Because um, when you're living in trauma and you're making decisions out of that traumatized brain, they're whether the divorce is right or wrong, it's going to be harder to process it. It's going to um, trigger you possibly to want to cope in some other ways to numb that pain. I experienced that. I ended up with an eating disorder, OCD, crazy, crazy, crazy behaviors that I would have never thought myself to do um, because I was grasping for some kind of control going through a divorce. Um, while traumatized through my in my first marriage, so um, I would just say, wait, get yourself safe, healthy, a support group, stable, um, and then make those decisions. That's great advice, just to keep stable, keep still, and focus on recovery in the process. So you're making that decision not from you know what sometimes we'll refer to as the trauma brain, but you have clarity and. You know, I always say that when you look back, you'll say that you've made the best decision because you were working with the best tools and the best clarity of mind. But ultimately, you know, people have to eventually make that decision for themselves. They can't take advice from their mama. They can't take advice from their sister, whether they stay or they go in that relationship. But Mm -hmm. I um, 100 Mm percent agree that to not be reactive to what's happening, because there are some people that are reactive and, um, you know, would then go back and try to repair. And then they're working about the reaction. But Ashley, you shared a little bit about your own story. Can you open up? Let's open up the the doors to to Ashley's uh, history. Talk to us a little bit about your own journey and what we can glean from your history and what you've learned for the women who are either walking it out or they've just found out last week that they're devastated. There's some type of betrayal that they're faced with. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I, going back, I've been married twice, so first marriage to an addict and toxic. And, you know, um, I, like I said, I was a teen mom. So I was very young. Um, I had a lot of trauma. I was raped as a virgin at 15 by an older, um, guy, a a 21 year old man. And, um, and I believe that to have tainted my identity, to taint my worth, to taint what I could offer somebody. And so I lived out of this place of, um, not feeling good enough and always believing that lie that I wasn't good enough. And then um, some people have heard my story where I grew up in a really uh, racist area. So I was the only black girl and, um, and then having that thrown on top of it, I became this chameleon of somebody that just wanted to please. Um, and I, I didn't have this firm ground of who I was to stand on. I didn't have this, this um, worth that came from Christ that says, no, I'm not going to, you know, put up with that. So I found myself in a lot of um, dangerous situations. Um, But through that, I also realized that I liked the attention that I got from these behaviors. And so I actually became a sex and love addict myself. Um, And that led me to marrying my second husband, um, because I, um, you know, so badly wanted a relationship. And so it was these two I guess addicts betray. I was betrayed and an addict coming together. Um, and so then when I found out about his betrayal four years into our marriage, I, I thought, 
I thought this was my second chance. I thought, you know, I stopped all my behaviors. I remarried this Christian guy. Um, I'm doing it the way that I'm supposed to now. I'm raising my kids in the church. I, you know, I, I feel like I did all the checkboxes of what you're supposed to do. Um, but then I ended up experiencing betrayal anyways. My husband had a history before me with prostitutes and, um, and porn and thought that, you know, getting married would stop it. And it didn't. And so four years in, I found out about some things and um, it, it can, I, I mean, I can't describe the level of trauma and I'm sure every woman who's experienced it knows it, but it was not only like the trauma from my husband's lying and betrayal, me feeling like I married the boogeyman and I have no idea who I'm married to came out, but every single past trauma that I had never processed also came out. The, the trauma from my first husband, the trauma from the rape and from the racism and, and the sexual curiosity and the eating disorder and all the things that I even did to myself just came flooding out. And I, when they talk about your language system going off, I would just stare at a wall for hours, completely paralyzed, frozen, crying. Um, I had so much fear, anxiety. It was like every emotion you could possibly feel was just living on the surface of my skin. And I would just look at my kids and cry and think they're going to lock me up. I am going to be locked up. I am a mess. Um, and I did all the things the church told me to do. I read my whole Bible. I prayed every day. I was reading like 50 chapters every day of my Bible. And so I had that institutional trauma too, when I went to them and they said, well, have you really forgiven him? Are you reading your Bible enough? Are you praying enough? Um, and then I started to feel like I was doing something wrong. I was a bad person. Um, that there was something I was doing that was causing me to feel this way and stay stuck. And it wasn't until I found Pure Desires materials um, and started working through them and going through them with some ladies at my church that everything started clicking, that I started understanding that things happen to your brain. I mean, it's, it, these are moral choices or, you know, we stumble into them because of curiosity, but then what we get dragged off and they become traps, they become snares and our bodies and our brains get stuck um, and so when I learned that I'm such like a logical um, techie like a sciencey kind of person versus touchy-feely and so that made sense to me to be able to put that together um, my feelings with what was actually going on in my brain and that's when I feel like the gears just started turning and I was able to have a voice um, know what I was feeling for the first time and be able to feel confident in in speaking up for what I needed so it was, you know, it's been a, it's been a journey. My husband and my, my current husband and I have been married for 12 years and um, we've been eight years into the process of uh, recovery. And there's been some backsides and um, slips and um, him navigating his recovery. Um, and so I, I, I like to say that I, I know him and I, I know what I signed up for and I, I signed up for this imperfect love. Um, and it's, you know, and, and we're working toward um, just continuing to be healthier versions of ourselves for ourselves and our kids. Well, we certainly appreciate your transparency and your vulnerability. I remember when um, I was asked to be the keynote speaker at the women's um, conference, I think it was your first one at Oregon. And um, and the, the splitting was looking at those who were betrayed, but those who also had their love and sex addict and that they're all going to be in the same room. And I'm like, Oh, I'm supposed to speak to everybody, <laughs> but you know, the, the, <laughs> but you know, I think the, the point there and you just beautifully intertwined it is sometimes there is two sides of the coin. 
that sometimes you can be the person who has been betrayed, but you can have also been the betrayer or you can have been a love addict. So talk to us a little bit about how the two partner together and how common that is for some of the, the women that you'll see in your different different groups, meaning that there is that opportunity for healing because sometimes we can be blinded to our own ways and we just focus on his betrayal or her betrayal and not necessarily look at all the stuff that we were bringing to the relationship that even attracted that person in our life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is such a, I feel like for me and for the group that I've led and for the leaders that I oversee and, you know, the people I've talked to, the majority of women are so appreciative to learn this kind of information. Um, but sometimes the language of how we go about it can seem a little puts a woman off because we're like, wait, why am I talking about myself when I'm not the one that when when I'm not the one that did this? And I remember feeling that way too. Like I'm already busy. I have four kids and now I have to go to this class, you know, teach this class because nobody can teach it. There's nobody to teach it. I'm teaching it. You know, I need help. So I remember feeling so angry that I had to set the time and energy aside to do this hard work. Um, But as we learn with the people that struggle with sexual addiction, sex addiction is not about sex. And so that's just a manifestation of how they're coping to medicate pain. Um, And so learning that about ourselves as women is a good thing, whether it's we're acting out sexually, whether we're seeking love through people or people pleasing, um, or we're eating a whole bag of chips or, or binge watching Netflix or, or all of it, you know, we need to understand how we respond to trauma and also Um, what we do in order to feel safe. And so like I was saying in the beginning with my husband's broken leg, I was was really wrestling with feeling like resentful. And my husband is so, he is the most compassionate person. I have a chronic illness and he's always taking care of me. I have surgeries. Like I'm like a frequent flyer when it comes to the medical office and hospitals. And he's so good at taking care of me. So I was like, why am I so resentful? Like I, sometimes I found myself like when I did Oh, his plate at him. You know, and he, the poor guy just had surgery and I knew it wasn't him. I knew it was coming from me, but it was coming from feeling like I always have to do everything for everybody because I can't trust anybody. Um, and so just getting women to the point where they can understand about them themselves. And we only live one life with one filter, with one way of really thinking that we've learned from our church and our environment and our parents or life experience or trauma. So we have this like filter that we see life through. So when we get to be part of a group of other women, especially women that have a different story, and we're all going through some maybe curriculum like we do in Pure Desire. And I hear Janie answer the same question, but you have this whole other experience or this whole other filter color. And I'm looking at the question going, I answered it way different. It's, it's eye-opening. A lot of times I would learn something about my past or connect a dot that I would have never known if I didn't hear your story um, because I've only ever looked at it through the way that I know it. And, and so hearing your story opens up um, a lot of my history too, when I look at it through that, that lens. So then when you have the women that are in front of you, because you you also mentioned something that I would love for you to comment on, because I know I see it quite often, especially in the church, and you are very in the throes of the church world, 
is that toxic faith, as you mentioned, right? So where women are told, well, you haven't forgiven, or did you pray? Did you have more sex? Or you right? There's there's this this pressure or this blame. You know, talk to us a little bit about how you have seen or some of the signs that there's toxic faith, and sometimes if that is the community that the woman is in, um, that can also contribute to her trauma. Yeah. Um, well, I think that that plays into one piece of our tool called the recovery action plan. It's not only to set boundaries for ourselves, um, or, you know, to protect us. Um, but one thing I found when using it, that I, I connected, um, sex with how we were doing in our relate in my relationship, because I remember growing up and hearing my pastor's wife say, you just never say no. You always say yes to sex. Um, we talk about it at the women's conferences that, you know, we may be told, um, don't cause boys to stumble, um, sexual feelings are bad, lust is just as bad as sleeping with somebody, um, sex is bad, sex is bad, sex is bad, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And then we get married and we're all this supposed, all of a sudden supposed to be like this super sexual, um, you know, no tension type woman. And it's, it, it confuses us, it confuses our brain, it confuses our body. And so we find ourselves in this place where we have shame because, okay, now I don't like having sex with my husband. And we have no idea where that comes from, especially if maybe we weren't sexually traumatized. All we, all we know is our perfect little background. And now we're wondering why our marriage is not good. And so, um, there there's, our history is so intricate. And so that's why we don't even really like to diagnose anybody or put them in a category. We just say, come be the healthiest version of you that you can be. And let's create a safe place for all these women to openly engage in conversation. And we'll see what comes up and we'll see what we learn from each other. And of course, there's, you know, curriculum that keeps women on track. And and we have specific curriculum for women who struggle with love, sex relationships, and then specific curriculum for women um, in betrayal and beyond. But when I have all the women in one group, it's more just what are our feelings? What are the things that make us scared? What are the things that make us feel vulnerable? What are the things that um, we feel like we need to put boundaries in place or lies from our past? And so it's just digging that all out because um, at the root of it, it, it tends to be really similar with other women. Absolutely. So I want you to pick up on that right after this break on Let's Talk About It with Janie Lacey. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you often attracted to unavailable partners? Feel like you can't stay but can't leave a toxic relationship? Obsessed with thinking about a current or former lover? Feel resentful that you're always taking care of the other person? The Woman Redeemed Therapy Program is for women who want to break free from toxic relationship patterns so they can find the love they truly deserve. This program is a safe, nurturing environment, essential for building self-worth and acquiring the tools to work through challenges and create your best self. We invite you to begin the journey today to start building the new you. Call 407-622-1770 or visit LifeCounselingSolutions.com. That's LifeCounselingSolutions.com. Are you living day by day, nervous, in fear, or constantly feeling overwhelmed? This is probably due to an anxiety disorder. Anxiety disorders can develop from many different factors and can affect each and every person differently. Anxiety disorders can develop because of genetics, personality, stressful life events, and many other reasons. 
The Anxiety and Depression Association of America reports that more than 40 million Americans suffer from anxiety-related illnesses and anxiety is also considered the most common mental disorder in the United States. You don't have to suffer alone. Call Life Counseling Solutions at 407-622-1770 or visit lifecounselingsolutions.com today. Has your anger ever taken you somewhere you regretted? Have you ever said something in anger that you wish you could take back? Have you ever hurt anyone as a reaction of your anger, physically or emotionally? Let's face it, anger is a part of life. We all experience anger in our lives at some point. The question we need to ask ourselves is whether this has become a habit. What matters is how we deal with it. So call Life Counseling Solutions at 407-622-1770 or visit OrlandoAngerManagement.com today. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are listening to Let's Talk About It with Dr. Janie Lacey. To reach the show today, please call into 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Janie at lifecounselingsolutions.com. Now back to Let's Talk About It. Welcome back to Let's Talk About It with Janie Lacey. We are here with our esteemed guest, Ashley Jamerson. And uh, she was just talking a little bit about what it looks like to go through betrayal trauma in the faith community. So I want to pick right back up there, Ashley. And I want to talk a little bit or hear your expertise and your experience to share with our viewers and our listeners. What does a healing journey look like, right? For that person whose world just came crumbling down after finding out her partner has been cheating on her for years. I mean, where does she start, right? We talked about not making any decisions. So after she doesn't make any decisions, she's going to keep things status quo. What does she do? What can they expect or some of the highlights um, from a healing journey or even from your own healing journey of things that you felt like were very uh, pivotal in your own healing Um, the first thing after telling yourself, you're not going to make any major decisions unless it's for safety, um, would be to find people that get it, find people that have been through what you've gone through and are where you want to be. So I want to go find women who have experienced betrayal trauma, who have experienced being in a relationship where somebody breaches that covenant or steps out or betrays you or any of that. I need to I need to go borrow their hope. I need to go ride on their coattails. I need them to guide me because our brain's offline. We're in survival mode. Um, all we're replaying our whole life. Um, I heard Dr. Jake Porter talk about like just the file cabinet is dumped and we're trying to recategorize our life and figure out where, where everything belongs. And, and I know that anybody who's experienced betrayal trauma knows what I'm talking about. As soon as you hear about another relapse, you're like, like rewinding the tape and you're trying to figure out where everything happened. Where were you? How were you acting? Were you a blind fool? Why didn't you see it? Um, And you're just replaying all of it. And so um, we need to just care for ourselves and love ourselves. If we can find a person who can come alongside um, that we trust and that we know they get it, we can rely on them to just say, what should I do next? What should I do next? What should I do next? 
Um, and that that's what I, I say when I work with women who I know really well and, I, and they trust me and they're in that trauma, I'll, I'll remind them, I'll say, do you trust me when you're not in this trauma? Do you think of me as somebody that would give you good advice and loves you and would look out for you and understands where you are? And they say, yes. And I say, will you trust me to just help you choose the next step? Just, just do the next step because we get stuck really easy when we don't feel safe. What do you say or what's your thoughts that you can share with the woman who, and I would imagine you've heard this as well, that, um, that, and we'll just use it from a female's perspective that he said that he'll just never do it again. And I really, he was crying. He was just so upset. I mean, what should be the boundaries or I'm using the big word boundaries. What should she consider in that situation when the partner who has cheated and um, is found out just says, I just won't do it again. Let's just move forward. What would be some of your thoughts about that? Well, <laughs> I've been here. I, I specifically remember, even though it was eight years ago, I remember because I came from a medical field. I remember telling my husband, you're not going to quit taking the antibiotics before the prescription's up. Like you are just feeling good right now, but it does not mean that little cancer, that little infection is not still in there. And I, I am just, you know, usually what's on my mind. Sometimes it gets me in trouble. Um, but I, I absolutely believe if you've experienced a trauma, a fracture in your relationship, even if you're able to just kind of mask it and cover it up, when the ground starts shaking again, you're going to go right back to that trauma and you're going to start thinking about it again. Um, you're going to start wondering all those pieces and were they telling me the truth or anytime something's off. And so it's important that if you want to have healthy, true intimacy, that you know the full story and that you feel like you're standing on solid, cleared ground where you know all the pieces. Because as long as there's any little piece of your relationship that you are unaware of or you feel like you're just waiting for the other shoe to drop or the curtain to be pulled back and you're going to discover more, you're going to live in this chronic state of anxiety. So I would say um, even if you feel like you don't need it, especially for that betrayed spouse, it's like, I didn't do anything wrong. He says he's not doing it. It's clear. He has a problem with sex. If he doesn't do that, then we won't have a problem, but there's still that fracture. So I would just encourage you to at least plug in to counseling or group or something so that you have that support group and just make sure it's just better to just make sure it's all out and all um, processed. Well, we certainly appreciate that and appreciate gleaming from your experience because I think your experience is valuable, not only being in the helping space, but also having walked through certain parts yourself, right? Because then you have a different level of empathy. Mm -hmm. You have a different level of connection walking in someone else's shoes. So with that being said, speak to that person who may be right now, right? And um, I would imagine that Pure Desires has also had an influx after the pandemic of a lot of people who um, were struggling still in secrecy. A lot of things were exposed. You know, we can write a book from last year from people that just could not stay away from their lover pretended to be the uber eats driver i mean crazy crazy just stories that um some people would say are made for the movies but it's real life so when you think about that person right now that's listening to us or they're watching us and they're struggling with with sex or porn addiction that's yet to be um said that a sex or porn addiction and they know that they have a problem but yet they're filled with so much shame i mean what can you say to that person as to the reason um or your thoughts as to why they don't have to hide and keep that 
secret in, um, in particular, because they're struggling right now, but they're still full of shame. They haven't spoken to anyone yet, but they're plugging mm-hmm. into Ashley and Dr. Janie because they're curious about this conversation and they can relate to it okay. and it's coming up for them. Yeah. And, uh, and speaking as somebody who's been the betrayed and also been very much an addict in several ways of my life, um, addicts will lie and manipulate, manipulate and deceive but it's coming out of this place of fear, fear of exposure, fear of if that person knew the real story of me, all I've done, they would not love me. They would reject me. They would not want me. Um, and as long as there's any bitty part of something you're hiding from your loved one or your spouse, there's always going to be that piece of yourself that you're not allowing that person into, that it's not this full, genuine, intimate, transparent relationship, because every time that person gets close to that piece, you're going to act weird, um, crazy make them or, or, or back off or withdraw or create an argument to create space um, so that they don't get close to that secret because you're so afraid of exposure. Um, and then what that does for the other person is go, what's wrong? Why, why are they acting so distant? Did I say something? Am I not pretty enough? Or are they thinking about somebody else? Are we fighting? Um, and in my case, then I would become overly needy and I'd be trying to be perfect. Like I could sense something was off and then I'd be, um, I'd be extra, which then pushed me away even further. So it's just this vicious cycle of how can we help ourselves in a relationship? How can we go deeper? How can we be more intimate? How can we be, um, you know, how can we just be more sexually attracted to each other if we don't know what we're working with? If we're all trying to figure out what the other person's feeling, but nobody's being fully honest. And so um, I know it can be scary to be honest. I know that pandemic, I'm a person too, that I have some struggles that I felt like I was going back into that thinking this last year with COVID and all the stress. And I remember telling myself, I can't be a hypocrite. I need to do the things I would, would tell anybody else. If I have a secret, if I have a struggle, that is only going to become a spiral of cancer that destroys relationships and just leads me down this path that I don't want to go down to. And so I just recommend that you have two people in your life, uh, in your life that, that know what you're going through. And so Sure enough, like when I was going through my stuff with COVID, I I texted my two people. I said, I don't want to pep talk right now. Just putting it out there. This is what I'm going through. When I'm ready to talk, I will. But at least they knew. And then I was able to go back to them. Um, And so everybody, pastor, professional, doctor, we should all have our couple people that know everything about us that we can go and say, I'm I'm struggling with this. Help me decide what my next step is. Hundred percent. Tell us the right thing. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely, hundred percent agree with you, Ashley. No matter who you are, where you are in your journey, having those safe people, that inner circle, who you can. I always uh, joke with my women redeem group. I'm like, that's the person you can call at two a.m. in the morning. You can be on the side yep. of the road. They're not going to ask you any questions, but they'll be there, and nobody else will know except A and B. That's that person who will have yep. your back and lock it down, because you're able to be seen. Right, it's that healing part where you can be seen, heard and validated. And I think it's also key. What I also am hearing you say is that not, it's not necessarily that you have to rush and talk to your partner because they may not be your safe person at that season, you know, to being able to go to that safe people process. And at some point in time, then you'll be at a place of clarity versus a place of uh, reactivity. So, you know, yeah, I find that sometimes just talking to the, my safe people right away, it's like SOS goes out 
it does something to um, break that hold on me of the shame and the secret. So just get your people. And if you don't have them, group is a great place to find people. Yep, that good old saying, we are sick as our secrets and we don't want to have to be sick anymore. You don't have to be sick anymore. Right. <laughs> right. But uh, I'm going to pivot here a little bit because I would imagine you also deal with um, with this and would love to hear some of your thoughts. I mean, what are your, what do you tell the women who sometimes get confused with codependency versus someone who has experienced betrayal trauma? So in, in the women that you work with, I mean, what's the difference between being codependent versus someone who's experienced betrayal trauma? What are some of your thoughts there, Ashley? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually uh, was having a little bit of conversation about this recently with Diane Roberts, who's the founder, co-founder of Pure Desire Ministry. And I got some good insight from her. She had said that back in her day when codependency became kind of popularized, um, co-addict was the word they used. And that's horrible. (laughs) Who wants to be the (laughs) co-addict? So she was saying codependent was actually a better version in the way it was described. And um, and so I, I think some of it can just be as we know more, um, we, we do better as we learn more, we understand more about trauma and how we react to trauma and how we need to cope to feel safe and how um, our reactions to trauma sometimes are, are very good survival instincts. So growing up to growing up in a family where I saw, um, I saw, I saw danger, I learned that if I just keep my mouth shut and be the nice kid, then I'm safe. Um, but then going into marriage, when I feel danger, even if it's in the form of um, my husband didn't, you know, say anything nice to me today, I wonder if he still likes me, I wonder if that to me was danger. And so I would shut down. And that's so destructive for a relationship. And so that old behavior that I used for real life safety became something that was not helpful in my marriage. And so um, regardless of what you call it, we, I prefer not to use the word codependency at all. Um, I feel like we're either one responding to trauma physically or emotionally, we're responding to the trauma, um, or we're, we're trying to keep ourselves safe. Um, like I described, there could be some behaviors that, um, you know, like I, like I found myself being, I keep going back to my husband's broken leg because I, I just use like real, you know, current situations. I found myself being passive aggressive, sighing, huffing, slamming the cupboard. And I was like, why am I doing this? One, it feels awful. It's exhausting and it's draining. And we did end up sitting down and having a great conversation, my husband and I, um, and it was good, but I'm like, why am I being passive aggressive? And, and I realized that's what I learned. That's what I learned back when it wasn't safe to, to, to share your needs, it wasn't safe to vocalize things. And so I, I don't want to be, I don't want to say that's um, codependent. I it's, it's just a reaction, a response to something stressful and painful. This last couple of weeks have been stressful, painful. My husband's down. I'm the only parent. I lost my grandpa. I had to back out of speaking at the summit for pure desire, which I love all these things going on on top of kids starting school, boys turning 18, which scares me and, um, you know, all this stuff. And so I was, I was starting to have some old behaviors, um, not codependent, just they were my ways of keeping myself sane. Um, and they weren't healthy. I had to recognize those unhealthy behaviors and start to change them. Um, and so I, I like to talk about it in that way, that it's trauma. It's the way you respond to trauma. Um, you may be doing things to keep yourself safe. Um, 
I feel like, um, I, like I said, I grew up, um, in a racist area. My dad wasn't there. My mom worked a lot. So I was home alone a lot. And so I had to take control because if I relied on somebody to come pick me up at eight years old from my school, when it's dark, I would end up standing out there all night. And that was scary. I remember a few times having to walk home in the dark as a little tiny six-year-old in the, not the nicest neighborhood. And I was crying and I was scared. And so from that point on, it was like, I'll find my own ride. I don't trust you to tell, you know, tell me you're going to show up. Um, so now when I come into my adulthood and I have those controlling codependent behaviors, it's because I have this history of, um, being in real danger that I realized I'm the one that has to protect myself. And so until I can get to the point where I can trust you and know that you're going to um, do what you say and, and, and say what you mean and mean what you say and whatever that phrase is, um, I might have these protective barriers where I'm going to make sure that I'm safe. So, um, that, that was a like a weird way to answer your question, but no, I don't really love the word codependency. <laughs> completely understand. I'm hundred percent. Cause a lot of women will bring that up and they'll toss these terms around, right. Looking at the symptoms, but you know, you had mentioned about your uh, childhood, some of your experiences around racism and how that also played into um, what we would call maladaptive or dysfunctional coping mechanisms and trying to take control when you didn't feel safe or out of control when you were um, younger. But talk to us a little bit about how that played into who the woman Ashley is today, her experiences with racism and um, where she's grown up at and how that played into some of your challenges. Yeah, I'm I mean, I feel like I can understand um, a wide range of women, maybe women who have dealt with um, weight issues or something else where they were teased or put marginalized. And so um, I have a heart for marginalized people because I've been there and I know how it can create this desperation in you to want to fit in, to want to be accepted. Um, and it skews who you really are. It skews the beauty of who you are uniquely because, um, because you can either have this fear of rejection um, or you can create a hard heartedness where you're just like, I don't care. I'm tough. It doesn't bother me. You put on all these masks to try to um, protect yourself or to try to fit in. Um, and it's sad. It's sad because we miss out on who you're, who you really are. And so um, as a mom and, and, with all the trauma going on right now, and I'm going to get all teary. It's, it's, it's hard. And I feel like just, just recognize it. There's sometimes I get teary like this with my husband. I say chronic trauma. Like, I don't want to talk about it right now. It's um, because it's, it's a part that it's like what we're talking about with betrayal trauma. If we can't escape it and if it continues to happen, you live in this heightened state of um, anxiety and pain. And so just being really, really aware of where you're vulnerable. Mine are um, my body image. Um, I had the eating disorder. I was raised to be a model. Mine is my color, my skin, um, my value as a woman. I didn't value myself and I just let people do whatever. And I have so much, you know, past shame about that. And so just understanding where you're vulnerable and then just being really honest about it. I have my people, my inner circle people that I call for um, racial stuff. Um, who get it, you know, who, who have experienced it too, um, or, or just are very understanding. And they're my people I go to when I'm feeling that. And, and it's just, 
it's life. It, you know, so far I'm not at this point where it's totally past me and it's never come up again. Um, my daughter was, you know, I pulled her out of school two years ago for racial issues. Um, and I was, I was not willing to, um, sacrifice her in that way for an education. And so she ended up getting a really horrible teacher, me (laughs) over experiencing that trauma. I just pulled her out to just stabilize her for a little while because she was going downhill really fast. So, and now she's doing okay. Well, you did what you had to do to protect her and, and you knew from a different perspective, just um, how that can feel and what you needed to do. So that, that was, uh, that's to be applauded. I'm going to, um, in our last uh, few, few minutes, Ashley, tell us a little bit about, and thank you for sharing, because I think a lot of people can relate to a lot of just real life issues. I mean, it's real stuff, but talk to us a little bit about Pure Desire and your involvement with the organization, just some of the programs, especially those that have experienced yeah. betrayal trauma and how um, they can probably get some support through the organization. Yeah, I mean, goosebumps, I work for Pure Desire because it can completely and radically changed my life and my kids and my family tree and my mom and my sister. I mean, it's had this whole impact. So I know that a lot of people that work in recovery settings say that their, their favorite, you know, people to be around are, are recovering or recovered people because there's just this insight into life and awareness. Um, And I love that about pure desire. We're not all doctors. We're not all professionals. Um, I always say I'm a regular person. I was a regular messy her betrayed spouse um, that just showed up in a room and said, join me in this. And I think that's the approach that we teach is um, just be willing to take the first step or share your space with somebody else and go through it with somebody else. We, we have counselors, we have all that, but that's not everybody's um, not everybody has access to counselors or, or that. So we as regular people can offer something to somebody else. And we can also have a starting place, even if we don't have access to all of these Uh, wonderful resources. So uh, there's somewhere to start and there's something that you can do to help people regardless of your background or your education. We certainly appreciate that. So one last question for you, Ashley. So let's say your twins, they're now getting their mental health checkup. They're now 35, they're now 35 years old each and they find a safe place in America's favorite psychotherapist's office. And she asked them about their childhood and she asked them to reflect on who their mother was to them in their younger years. In a few words, what would they say? (laughs) (laughs) They would say our mother was, um, I would think they would say that I'm open and I'm fun, but um, that I'm a little crazy, but I'm, I'm aware of it. So when I freaked out on my boys the last time, which was, you know, a while ago, I'm doing good. um, I came back down two minutes later to apologize and let them know that was my bad. Where'd I come from? And them and their friends all started laughing. And I said, what are you laughing at? And they said, they literally predicted down to the minute that you would come back and apologize um, (laughs) for overreacting. And so I tell them I'm a work in progress, um, but I've been through a lot of the same struggles. I've never parented 18 year old twins before. Um, I'm going to mess up and I've never, um, you know, I'm doing the best I can with what I have. And so I, I hope that they, even if they have trauma, they will say, yeah, we have trauma. Um, And my mom will admit that she kind of traumatized us in some areas too. I don't want it to be a secret or a denial in our family. 
Absolutely. And isn't that what we need to be the best that we can don't need to be perfect, but we need to be good enough. So we certainly appreciate you being here with us, Ashley. And I certainly appreciate um, your organization and knowing you through the years. And uh, we hope to um, continue to impact so many women. So, you know, healing doesn't mean the pain never existed. It means the damage no longer controls your life. So in the words of our special guest, when we own our story, it diminishes our shame and allows us to live in freedom. This becomes attractive to others and gives us the opportunity to pass along our healing to those around us. Until next time, this is your host, Dr. Janie Lacey. Thank you for tuning in. Let's Talk About It can be heard live every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Please join your host, Dr. Janie Lacey, for another edition of the show next week. 